I'm the moderator of the last panel today. My name is Robert Kopich. I'm basically responsible that uh, you're all here today, so I made you come here. And Mr. Moiser, who's sitting uh, next to me, is uh, our current host for tonight or for the last panel today. Thanks for that, by the way. <coughs> Sorry, is this working? And um, yeah, so, so that's the, the panel on mobility. I briefly want to introduce our, our panel to you so you get an idea of who you're facing here before we kick this off. So I'm just starting with the man to the left to make this very simple for you visually. Uh, Kurt Nemetz is the Director General of uh, the European uh, Forum for Mobility, Digital and Economic Transformation. Next to him is uh, our host, Mr. Soren Moiser. He's a um, member of this uh, house uh, for quite some time already. He's a uh, member of the International Trade Committee and a known expert on blockchain in this house uh, from Romania. Next to him is um, Tomas, I'm really sorry if I pronounced this wrong, uh, Kochirta. He's the CEO and founder of Mobotic. Is it okay? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, next to Thomas uh, is sitting Klaus Schaaf. He's the director for DLT at the Volkswagen Group, um, which I think everybody knows. Um, it's a small company in Germany. Um, then uh, next to him is um, Arvin Smith. She's a mobility fellow at the Mobi Foundation. Thanks for coming, Simon, by the way. <laughs> um, then uh, we have Isabel van Dorn. She's the deputy head of unit for uh, sustainable and intelligent transport uh, at the European Commission, DJ Move. And last but not least, uh, our latecomer, Simon Schwerin. He's uh, the co-founder of the Xane Foundation, which is uh, working on uh, mobility solutions in the blockchain space. And uh, as it's custom today, we give the first word to our host. Um, please, Sorin, um, start. Yes. Uh, thank you, Robert. Uh, speaking of organizing things, I would also like to thank my team, who has worked very hard to put this event together. Actually, today we had two events. I had to participate in two conferences. I've just come back from the Commission speaking on trade issues. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I would like to spare you the usual uh, boring introduction by uh, politicians and uh, try to tell you why I was uh, eventually uh, persuaded and even fascinated uh, by the end of it to, to host this, uh, uh, this panel. I had come, become quite accustomed to blockchain issues, but mobility was one of the issues I had never really thought of much before, uh, let's say, uh, last month. Uh, and I realized how wrong I was, because uh, there is quite a bit in terms of the promise for a blockchain for mobility. And this is one of the issues we will obviously be discussing today, and I'd like to touch briefly on some of the things that I find fascinating and interesting. And then, of course, there's the issue which is more maybe directly concerning some of you of the in-vehicle data and who masters that data and to what extent we do make important decisions in Brussels in order to, uh, you know, to address that one way or another. Um, so a few words on the, on the promise of blockchain. Uh, I think together with uh, AI, obviously, uh, 5G and IoT technology, uh, there are a number of things that could truly change the world as we know it. Uh, blockchain can provide uh, for solutions for instantaneous vehicle-to-vehicle -vehicle and vehicle-to-object communication and coordination, uh, which is crucial for the ultimate success of uh, the autonomous vehicle. 
Uh, and also, I have discovered recently a project on autonomous drones, a company from, or a project from Australia, which, which essentially puts together turnkey ecosystems. And okay, and there is another one in, in Austria. I need, I have drone projects still to discover, obviously. Uh, but they, the, they create ecosystems fully reliant on blockchains, which allow for instant communication and coordination between drones, as will be, uh, you know, the case for, uh, for vehicle to vehicle and vehicle to object uh, communication. On security, uh, blockchain systems are comparatively very secure compared to other uh, uh, IT systems. Uh, wallets may be broken, but no major blockchain has been attacked and rolled back, uh, to the best of my knowledge so far. So, uh, in terms of the uh, 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 solidity—solidity—that's uh, a funny word in this context, uh, given the, yeah, the Ethereum language. Uh, uh, the, the immutability of blockchains provides a type of security that is, I think is extremely important in this very sensitive area where human life. Uh, and uh, and many other social and economic stakes uh, yeah. um, uh, are at stake. There's the guaranteed traceability from spare parts uh, to full vehicles uh, in relation to you know, everything, service stations, insurance that can help streamline the value chain of the industry, uh, reducing friction and the need for uh, resource-consuming cons reconciliation processes. Uh, digital identities for vehicles and e-wallets attached to them that will allow vehicle-to-object transactions. Uh, uh, so new economic models may emerge and will emerge for sure. And of course, there's the ultimate dream or nightmare, I don't know, of self-owned cars, uh, which at least as, a, as an intellectual milestone, it is uh, interesting. And I, I would like to thank Thomas for having uh, sent me some literature on that, among others, uh, as well, which has uh, educated me a lot. Uh, so this would be about the promise in general, uh, blockchain for mobility. On the issue of in-vehicle data, uh, who should control the data and uh, what will legislation say about it? Uh, I guess this is of more direct interest for, for many of you. Um, obviously, there is this tension, and we should you know, call a spade a spade, between vehicle manufacturers or OEMs on the one hand and other actors uh, on this market, such as uh, technology and AI startups, which may like to use that data in order to train their learners uh, and offer maybe uh, services uh, which could be innovative. Uh, but also uh, car rental or leasing companies, insurance companies. So we have this debate and this tension on who and in what shape and form should be able to, to use this data uh, and who would, should be able to monetize it. It's not an easy question. I've been thinking a lot about it, uh, these days at least. Uh, innovation can be stalled if uh, data is kept in silos on the one hand and, and you have few monopolies who have most of the data. But it also is not fair to free ride on other people's efforts and investments perhaps. I mean, we have this you know, never-ending discussion, for instance, with, with, uh, with intellectual property rights for medicine, you know, generics versus research-based uh, medicine and patents. So, you know, it's, uh, it's always a, a painstaking effort to actually to find the right balance. And I, I, I would like to offer a potential idea, a solution, uh, which is not mine, actually. I have discovered it in a foreign affairs article dedicated to World War Web, to, you know, to the Internet Wars, of this generation uh, back in September. 
uh, I would call it data unbundling. Unbundling. Uh, you know, I use this. Uh, I mean, I, I, I have done quite a bit of work on on energy and infrastructure in energy. And you may know that uh, we have eventually come to force our energy companies to, to unbundle, to treat in a distinct way their infrastructures from the other economic assets that they have, and to allow free access to all actors based on pay, on fees, on, based on the market, to that infrastructure. So if I have a gas or oil pipeline, I'm supposed to, in Europe at least, uh, in the name of competition to allow other actors to access my own infrastructure and of course they would need to pay and afford to pay for it. Uh, but this way I cannot squeeze them out of the market because I control the infrastructure. Uh, so no, data unbundling may be something that we could think of for the long fut term future, given the fact that we have a, a few large companies and perhaps in new sectors there will be other few large companies in the automotive sector as well, which will gather huge amounts of data. I guess if and you, you know uh, if you look at the uh, what happened in the past decade, especially in the United States, a lot of data has been has been gathered by the state and also by the large uh, companies there. That's okay, but probably it would be fair if if this data were to be made available for a price uh, for a market-based price in an anonymized fashion to other entities, small or large, on the market. And this way, everybody can, can uh, benefit from this progress, uh, not only the pioneers. There may be the, you know, the honest pioneers who have uh, you know, invented uh, you know, an autonomous vehicle and they are collecting data on it. But they may have been, you know, uh, and this doesn't cover the automotive sector, uh, I'm not sure that some of the data collected by the large companies before the major issues and scandals with PRISM and then Facebook, Cambridge Analytica and so on is all the time legitimate by definition. So maybe the right way for the, for, let's say, the public authorities in a democratic and, and transparent way and with proper negotiation would be to uh, encourage and maybe force uh, people who have hoarded huge amounts of data to share it with others. Again, on a market basis, uh, approach, which would mean also revenue. So you have collected data, you make them available to others. That's also a cash flow for you. Nobody is nationalizing the data. Nobody is you know, abusing, uh, you know, power in any way. And uh, you know, it would be interesting to have any feedback from uh, you on this idea, which I'm sort of trying to put on the market, let's say. But it belongs to other people. I've just built on it. Um, and uh, I have a question for the Commission, and I conclude with this. Um, on this, uh, I mean, I, I haven't been able to get to the bottom of it. There's this famous delegated act on cooperative intelligent transport systems. Uh, on the one hand, in the pipeline, it appears somewhere in the Commission. Uh, uh, it would be great if you could give us some details on whether this is happening and when. Uh, or are we rather going to have only a recommendation uh, on connected and automated mobility sometime early next year? There is a public consultation uh, which closes on the 4th of December. Is this likely to inform the recommendation only? or the, uh, the delegated act, is the recommendation maybe a way to skirt and abandon the, the need to, you know, to, have, to, to make 
up our mind as you know as as the EU uh, on 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 this choice on on who controls in vehicle data. So it would be great if you could give us some idea of what's happening there and what is the role of this public consultation. Is it only for the recommendation? Is it for the delegated act also? When is the delegated act likely to come uh, up? Uh, to surface from the Commission? Uh, was it just a rumour? Thank you. Thank you, Sorin. Um, maybe to just lead over to with this uh, question to the European Commission. So please, Isabel, um, we're looking forward to hear your opinions about sustainable and intelligence, intelligent uh, transport. Uh, thank you. Uh, I'm not so sure that I will be able to reply to your question because uh, uh, blockchain and the CIT delegated act, uh, it's, uh, I don't see the direct link uh, so far. So, uh, uh, so maybe I could start with my, uh, and I was therefore not prepared to answer this question, but I will try to answer it after my intervention. Um, so first of all, um, I hope that I am not there to talk about uh, connected and automated driving, otherwise I am the wrong person because uh, maybe blockchain, uh, the benefit of blockchain is somewhere else. Uh, or at least I would like to look at the bigger picture. Um, and that's what we do uh, in DigiMove. So we are not looking at, uh, uh, at the cars, we are not looking at the data, we are looking at the mobility system. Uh, and uh, why? Because... Uh, um, we are looking at uh, all the challenges the mobility um, and the transport sector is facing, and we all know them. Uh, very soon, everybody will be meeting at COP24 in, in Poland, and um, we have tried to work on, on, on all the activities we could have to have uh, an efficient uh, transport system. So, so I would like to step back first. Uh, that's, so everything we do, we try to do it uh, with that, that objective in mind, so that we have a safe and clean, uh, sustainable, uh, even socially inclusive uh, mobility system. And uh, blockchain is one of, of the innovation uh, that have a lot of uh, promises to contribute to this. Uh, but it's uh, we need also to see when we see this uh, big picture, we also need to see other um, other trends, not only the digitalization and the decarbonization challenge, uh, but we need also to see the, um, the shared economy and the, but you have referred to it already, uh, and also the change in behavior. I don't know for you, but I know that my children who are uh, young adults are going uh, to, uh, to, demo to go to a demonstration this Sunday for the climate. Uh, and not only them, so everybody is trying to, with their smartphone, to have um, a mobility, a new mobility solution uh, moving from uh, car ownership. We all know that. But um, so this is the big picture we have. Uh, and it's not only about one delegated regulation. We have also, and uh, you have been discussing that during the, the whole day, uh, we have uh, banks quite interested in mobility, uh, in mobility. We have plenty of new mobility service providers with, uh, I don't know if you have seen it, but in Brussels the last two weeks, um, we have now on pedestrian area, uh, e-scooter, uh, 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 in front of us. 
so sharing uh, shared mobility is quite huge. So it's not about cars. So I would like to, uh, if you have to retain one statement from my, me today, is that. Um, we have also platforms. Huh? We are in the world of platforms, uh, doing a lot also. So the so we have a new. Um, I, I hate this uh, this word, but uh, it's quite trendy to use it. We in the mobility and transport sector, and I guess that my colleague uh, earlier did today also refer to it. We have a complex ec ecosystem with so many stakeholders. And so this complexity, uh, I will come uh, back to on that uh, point later on, uh, because all these stakeholders will need to interact with the, uh, each other. And it's really not, um, not easy. Uh, let's use an old-fashioned uh, topic. Um, I had last week, one week ago, a meeting on what we call multimodal passenger services, or if you want uh, to use a trendy word, mass mobility as a service. For me, it's the same concept, but with a new uh, label, a new logo on it, so that it's brand new. Uh, but we have new players on it. Uh, and uh, when we, we discussed that, uh, we discussed about ticketing, we discussed about payment, we discussed about revenue sharing, we discussed about uh, invoice. Uh, when you look at it, you see that more and more we'll have plenty of interaction between plenty of companies, big, small, traditional ones, new players. Uh, and so uh, the, one of the two key words of this um, conference was fears and trust. And uh, this is the situation of the mobility ecosystem today. Uh, so if we want to deliver a clean, safe, uh, marvelous, efficient mobility system, we need something. And blockchain has this potential. Um, because for many reasons, and I have to admit that I am not an expert at all of blockchain. So, so don't ask me a specific question on it. Uh, I know nearly nothing about it. Uh, but what I know is that it will be, it will help to, to work, to record the transaction, to, to work, and uh, um, I joined the, the, the meeting a bit uh, before, to work on this identity management, to work on this smart contracts. So all this will be needed between all the stakeholders. And um, we have on the one hand the front runners, uh, and on the other hand we have the uh, traditional players. Um, and I know that there are some use cases uh, on which we are um, working now on, on mobility, but we need also, I think, from our side, from the mobility club, um, uh, we need to, what we see is that we need uh, to raise awareness of uh, the advantage of blockchain because uh, we are nearly not aware of what it is, what it can provide. We know little. Uh, we know little about it. And when I say we, I represent the mobility community. Um, because we have to, we have to understand uh, what it is good for. We need to understand what the issues that blockchain could address. Um, then another part is that, and we see that for all digitalization stuff. So even the basic stuff, capacity and skills of the public authorities, of uh, the public uh, operators, because blockchain will not come um, will not come in mobility if public transport operators and public transport authorities will uh, be out of the game. And so they need to understand. Um, what else should I say? Um, I should also say that um, 
Another part of the public sector is also the traffic manager. Last week uh, or two weeks before, I was in a meeting uh, with some traffic managers. Um, and I see also that for addressing congestion, so not only the, the link with mobility as a service, but also to improve congestion, uh, blockchain has um, a lot of potential. But uh, we need to see uh, we need to see how we do it. So much much uh, more research are needed in the mobility sector to see how we can bring blockchain. That's also the perception I have. Um, then to come back to your question on the CITS delegated act, um, I think that we are talking about apples and peer, peers. So that's why I don't see the direct link with blockchain uh, because uh, the CITS delegated act are quite about. Uh, exchanging messages between uh, between um, um, different vehicles, uh, between different vehicles, and between vehicles and infrastructure. Um, then, when it will come? Uh, so it's not uh, a rumor in the corridors. So uh, we have had our uh, inter-service um, within the Commission, and if everything, if everything goes well in the coming days, it will be out on the better regulation portal. Uh, on the recommendation, so uh, because you refer to two um, items of uh, the communication we had in the third mobility package, and the recommendation is another one, and uh, I agree with you that there is a public consultation on it right now. Um, our colleagues from DG Connect are working on it, so I, um, I don't feel the the let's say the not the right but i don't uh, it's uh, it would be better that you ask them uh, my colleagues in dg connect uh, what they intend to do uh, with it well i hope that um, uh, you have received um, some information from my side thanks a lot um going into the use cases uh, i would like to start with avon smith from mobi she's uh, basically the one that's probably best to address this right now Thank you, Robert, and thank you for for having me on behalf of Moby at at this event. So I would like to start with stressing the urgency. Like, yes, we're in a complex ecosystem. Yes, right now we're facing many data silos. There are many stakeholders involved. So I would argue that the time to rethink mobility is now. And let me illustrate this by sharing a statistic. So today, approximately 55% of the world's population lives in urban areas. This is a statistic from the United Nations. A proportion that's expected to increase to 68% in 2050. So I strongly believe that distributed leisure technologies have a role to play in making mobility more efficient, more effective, and elevating the strain on our urban areas. So I'm here today to represent Mobi, and Mobi is a nonprofit organization working with forward-thinking companies, governments and NGOs to make mobility services more affordable, greener, safer. And we do that by helping ex to accelerate the development of blockchain and related distributed ledger technologies. And we see a dire need for open standards an open ecosystem with competing standards just results in new walled gardens. So this is something that I would advise to avoid. The rapid changes in the automotive mobility sectors present many problems which may be answered with blockchain and other distributed ledger technologies. 
We're seeing growth in trading and sharing of high-value assets, such as luxury vehicles. While at the same time, trusted middlemen are being disintermediated. Smart connected vehicles need to balance the need for security and control of data with the market's desire for connectivity and data access. For the first time, OEMs, service providers and cities are having to collaborate on open standards to provide safe, sustainable services. Mobility is evolving from a walled garden to a web of interconnected relationships. Blockchain-based identities for machines and individuals will be the key puzzle piece to unlock mobility services at scale. Because the line between mobility services blurs where you can customize virtual identities to unlock permissions for the required service. Imagine one vehicle that would have different people using it for different purposes at different times of day. This will become the standard and not the exception. Value will flow bilateral from you and me to autonomous economic agents, such as a party parking meter or a vehicle able to dynamically set a price, check conditions and accept payments. The economy of things only requires an embedded identity and a profit function, which is a lot easier than teaching a car to drive by itself. And this effort lies at the very heart of Moby. So starting with vehicle identity and history, Moby's use cases span the entire mobility services value chain. The Moby Alliance includes over 70% of the world's tier one OEMs, many governments, many universities, and leading startups some of them sitting on this panel today. So in the words of Christine Lagarde, the managing director of the IMF, there are new and evolving requirements for money, as well as essential public policy objectives. While the case for digital currencies is not universal, we should investigate it further, seriously, carefully, and creatively. I would echo these sentiments for blockchain-based data, identity, and payments in particular. And let me conclude with this. In the Silicon Valley of the early 2010s, the US created an attractive environment for Web 2.0 companies. They could flourish because of the combination of regulation, funding and talent. Today, Europe faces a unique opportunity. Blockchain and distributed ledger technologies herald a new wave of innovation and the EU has a decision to make. What role does it want to play on the next technological frontier? What the EU decides to do matters very much. Moby extends an invitation to work with us so we might learn from each other and shape this next phase of mobility together. Apologies, thank you, Arvin. Um, maybe going from uh, an initiative to an existing uh, world player with Volkswagen. So please, Klaus, uh, floor is yours. <clears throat> I, I can uh, say a, little, a lot of things which um, Arvin already said, but uh, most of the car companies are now changing their business model to um, a more, uh, more from a car 
developing and car selling um, company to a mobility selling company. So uh, we uh, in the future we will do be more a mobility um, company than uh, anything else, and uh, this will be a short time until this uh, reaches uh, the world. So we expect this to be in 2025 to be the case. And that goes together with uh, some other developments, for example, the self-driving cars, which also we will reach some parts of the world, uh, some parts earlier, some uh, parts later, um, in uh, around this time in 2025. And uh, this is also something um, I would like to to tell the European Commission and the Parliament, um, be careful that Europe is not falling behind on that. Um, currently, most of the companies see uh, the United States and Silicon Valley as the starting point, Asia as the follower, and only then uh, they see Europe uh, as the next place where this will happen. And uh, with uh, all this goes together um, the the tools for um, offering this mobility and blockchain technology or distributed ledger technology is a big part of that and uh, because especially when we have self-driving cars they cannot sign uh, credit card uh, yeah credit card uh, receipts and uh, so we need something else uh, which makes it um, possible that transactions, either financial or just transactions of data, of goods or so, uh, can happen uh, and will be trusted by the people who use these services. And um, uh, something else, um, we are working on this um, in on a lot of um, things already. Um, and this is um, for the for electrical cars. We need to charge the cars, and we need to pay for the uh, for this, and we need to um, to reserve park uh, not parking um, charging spaces, and um, all this needs a new economy, which we uh, which is a little bit different than what we have now. You go, you just go to a gas station. But uh, since um, charging takes a little longer, you don't want to stand in line uh, behind 10 other cars. And uh, so you need to plan this, at least at the moment, much better than before. So this is one of the uh, things we're doing. Uh, another thing which will be um, an example of blockchain very, very early, and uh, I know that a lot of companies are already working on that, that is trusted mileage. So um, we can uh, put the data um, of of the um, which the cars have um, taken, uh, the, the, uh, the kilometers um, onto the blockchain and thus uh, put out certificates so that used cars um, will not be um, yeah will be trusted much more than in uh, at the moment at the moment about 10% of all used cars have a wrong um, mileage reading and uh, for that reason uh, this is uh, one thing uh, which will be 
uh, out very early as an as a yeah not only a proof of concept but as a first tryout for how blockchain can work in this market. Uh, something else we we have been working on is um, software over the air. Um, we now have um, the ability to put new software into the cars, not only to repair existing software, but also to uh, offer new services in the cars. And um, with this, uh, it, there there comes more danger that the, uh, the software is tampered with, or that the wrong software is on there, that not the software which should be in the cars is in the car. And uh, this has to be controlled and um, blockchain offers a possibility to check if the right software is on the car so when you go um, with your car to control and uh, you, you know, they can see what kind of software is in there and you can prove that you always um, put the newest software into your cars. Um, The, uh, for this, we also need an, a mobility ecosystem, and I think Mobi is, is really a, an important part of that, um, because we need um, a lot of standards so that all these uh, companies can work together with us. Of course, we would like that Volkswagen um, would would be the uh, the company of choice for a lot of services, but uh, of course, we see that there are uh, some. Um, yeah, some other companies uh, around the world who also um, want to to take this. And um, so, if we go to a, let's say a smart city like Hamburg, Paris, or Brussels, um, we cannot force them to use our system. We need a way to standardize all these systems so that everybody can use them and offer their uh, ability. And the, um, the competition will be in a way who uses or who offers the best usable, the best UX system for these and um, the, the, the highest number of services. So um, the we 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 will not put our services into a silo so that uh, if you cannot get out of this but you you need to um take a lot of different services and combine them and for that you need a lot of um standardization uh, a lot of um different um cooperations and especially also in in the field of the different ledgers we have uh, ethereum we have um a quorum, we have IOTA, and, and they all somehow have to work together because a lot of services will be on different uh, chains. Um, during a hackathon um, in the summer in, in Munich, we, we tried this out and we combined um, the uh, IOTA Tangle with an Ethereum um, blockchain because Ethereum was offering smart contracts, which uh, IOTA couldn't do at, at the time. And there's a lot of things each ledger has their advantages and disadvantages. And if we combine them and put them together and uh, we can develop completely new systems which are based on IoT, on uh, new ideas of uh, contracts uh, and a lot of new services. And I hope that uh, we get help uh, for that uh, from the European Parliament, from the European Com uh, Commission. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, going from a big player to 
two very engaged entrepreneurs. Um, I would say like, uh, Thomas, could you maybe start and then we go to Simon right after that. Sorry. Yes. Uh, hello. So uh, I am the founder of a startup uh, started in Romania. will continue in France because I have the double nationality. Um, and uh, I would like to, to place uh, the, the, our, our concept in a larger context and speaking about the autonomy of machine in general. So not only uh, autonomous cars, but uh, autonomous machine tools, which will uh, help us obtain, achieve a, a dream, which is to be autonomous as, a, as an individual. Uh, that means being able to work from home, uh, 3D printing our house, put some solar panels on it, being independent energetically, uh, where they have washing machines, we'll have robots in, in the kitchen, uh, cleaning the floor. And uh, I claim that uh, those machines are not autonomous enough, so they still need us to configure uh, they cannot make transactions yet. So the blockchain is the perfect tool to, 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 to render those machines autonomous. And again, this will help us become uh, autonomous as individuals. So blockchain is about decentralization. Uh, I would say blockchain is about autonomism. So... Uh, we are placing uh, our startup in this uh, context of trying to be autonomous. This is why we are trying to decentralize everything, starting with the manufacturing. Uh, so we are trying to build uh, uh, fab cells uh, hosted in, in container, in shipping container, so we can send them fast. Uh, we are building... Um, a very, very small autonomous vehicle. Uh, and I insist on small because I don't think that the solution is uh, cars built by, by our friends from, from Volkswagen. Uh, we are more closer to, to a bicycle than uh, to, to, a, to a car. But uh, we put a cabin on it, uh, so we have the safety and the comfort of a car, but with the agility and nimbleness of, of a bicycle. And uh, we should watch carefully uh, cities like Amsterdam or Copenhagen who solved uh, uh, part of the uh, traffic problems with bicycles. So uh, again, uh, we, we, see, we see the blockchain as the perfect tool and we see it as a missing link uh, uh, that uh, we, it's a technology we didn't have uh, before, so now we should use it uh, uh, fully uh, and not only in, in, in some fields. So this is why we are trying to, to use it in all the, the, the fields of, uh, of our business, uh, starting, of course, with the funding. Uh, so we are going to, to issue tokens in uh, six months when the regulations will be a little more, more clear. Um, uh, so, by, by definition, we are going to have a tokenized economy in the in the in the in the startup. 
then we are going to use those tokens to attract talent, and we are going to try to, to, to build a meritocracy. Uh, so uh, the engineering and the design of, uh, of the vehicles and manufacturing cells are going to be done in a community of peers, so peer-to-peer. The blockchain will help us, uh, of course, align the interests of every peer, then uh, balance the contribution, each contribution, each value added with the, with the right uh, uh, retribution. Uh, as I said, we, can, we hope to, to attract global talent. Uh, let's say uh, engineers who are trying to, to, to work from passion, instead of working for a salary. So they will get jobs in Audi and hopefully come to, to us. Uh, then the manufacturing, as I said, it has to be distributed locally. So we'll, we'll try to create jobs, jobs uh, locally. Um, the, 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 the actual technologies, additive manufacturing, it's allowing us to do this. But uh, I think those fab cells, those manufacturing cells, have to be part uh, of a network of autonomous machines. So exactly like, like the vehicles who are, uh, who are going to be able to, to bid for rides, for, for services, and ask for maintenance or ask for, for uh, swapping and charging batteries. The machine tools fabricating those vehicles have to be autonomous also, so ask for a bid for, for raw material and uh, um, uh, uh, take money in their wallet uh, out of uh, delivery of, of uh, parts. Uh, so, of course, blockchain is mandatory in this, in this architecture. Um, uh, when we are operating fleets of cars, uh, uh, again, the, the best tool we found is blockchain. So I insist on the fact that uh, we are not coming from the blockchain. We are not coming from the software field. We, we, are, we, are, we are building hardware, but, but we found in the 2012 the blockchain, and then we realized that this is the, the perfect, the perfect uh, tool. Um, from the operating point of view, what we are doing is decentralizing uh, Uber because everything Uber is doing, it's it's uh, doable in in uh, with the blockchain. So uh, we can automate everything without taking uh, the thirty percent they are taking. I think. You, you heard about the, 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 the cases of paying the parking or paying the swapping of the battery, the charging of the battery, thanks to, to the blockchain. And of course, then you have the user. And in our philosophy, the user can be the designer or the manufacturer or the operator. And uh, we, this, this, is a, this is a principle called presumption. So we are, we are uh, mixing supply and demand in the same uh, ecosystem. Uh, in order to do this, uh, we, we started uh, and we built the prototypes of the manufacturing uh, cell. 
And we already have two prototypes of a vehicle. We are building the third. Uh, and the project is to obtain enough funding to, <coughs> to manufacture, build, and operate a fleet of 4,000 vehicles in Paris. Uh, so again, I insist on the fact that the, the right vehicle for, for, for the urban areas is uh, an individual, very small vehicle, some kind of a chair on three wheels, uh, autonomous, of course. Uh, so we are preparing uh, this deployment of 4,000 vehicles. Uh, we are supported by the, the Paris Town Hall. Um, uh, so with those 4,000 vehicles, we are trying to, to make a proof of concept of all the, of the whole ecosystem, not only the vehicles or the manufacturing, all the operations, all the functioning, all the concepts. We are trying to prove them uh, uh, to, 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 to the world and scale very quickly only by, by giving the example and sending the software we develop to, to entrepreneurs around the world. Uh, again, we already started. Hope will succeed. Thank you. Um, I think I'm going to just start with a very general observation I made today, just to give a bit of food for thought and then tell a bit about um, where, we, where we come from, what we're kind of thinking, and then I have a few concrete questions and perhaps propositions for the yeah, European Parliament as well. Um, so, I don't know, like, I have made the weird observation this morning when I flew in from Berlin, where we are from, that I went to the taxi, taxi line um, and basically there was like, I think, 150 people waiting for taxis. And guess what? They probably took around 150 different taxis. Right. So why couldn't they just basically move into a fifth of that? Right. Um, why isn't there sufficient sharing infrastructure for those simple cases already in place? Why can't we enforce those better? I think that's really a first step with regards to sharing economies. Um, so what do we do at Zane? So we have been mm, founded a few few years ago. Uh, after a three-year research project from the Oxford University, we are 30 people now. So we are maturing, I guess, as a company a little bit. And we have always been looking at the intersection between blockchain, data privacy, how do those interrelate with the other cutting-edge technologies mentioned before, like AI, like big data. What does, what does it mean when we can bring trust back to data and you can then use that data for AI or when you can trust your shared use cases. Um, we are ourselves focusing a lot on creating a new kind of computer language. It's really deep technical stuff where I'm not going to go into too much detail, otherwise I'll lose all of you. Um, so what we're doing is essentially just yeah, trying to create a standard or a standard computer grammar for granting access to specific data points, to specific devices. So we're essentially turning or trying to turn around a paradigm in which basically a centralized entity defines the rules in which you can move in by turning it around and saying, okay, you yourself can define your own rules by which I want to move in this digital world and in the sharing economy. So we are really focusing on, on shared use cases, on, yeah, on mobility, we have done successful use cases with Porsche, Daimler, Mercedes, these kind of company, but also looking at mobility in a broader space, 
Um, we have also built a drone use case, but we think that's far from going anywhere because of the yeah regulation in the airspace. Um, we have or we're looking a lot into trains, and I think that's a really valid use case. I think there should be a lot done to make people use trains more frequently, also across the EU. Um, I think there's a lot of potential for making those autonomous, for making automated booking or billing systems. For example, we have worked with, just to give a small example of the complexity, with Deutsche Bahn, and they have 1,500 sub-companies, sub-GMBHs, that manage all kind of different track systems and so on. So, I mean, it's, it's an insanely complex system, if you think about it. It's still almost everything is manual work, which you couldn't even believe. Um, so, I think where I want to get to is essentially trying to look at the, at the bigger picture. So, as you were asking, what does blockchain do? How does it help us? I think with regards to mobility specifically, um, it's, really, it's really crucial to make us as users, me stepping into an autonomous, autonomous driving car, me using a shared car or shared mobility for public transportation, trusting that, or with, without even me knowing, trusting that it will take me from A to B, there won't be an accident, there won't be a, a mess up that maybe hurts me, my family, or my friends. But I think that's essentially what blockchain will do, and then we won't even think about it. I think it's the same as we had with the internet, where right? no one thinks about TCPIP and how does it work. I think that's similar to blockchain. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I didn't prepare that much before, so I'm just trying to pick up every here and, and there. Um, so I think for us as a startup where we have a lot of things to do, we all work extremely hard. A lot of us, yeah, I guess six days a week. Um, we really want to make sure that we can move fast enough. And specifically in this innovation space, what we realize or what we joke around with is say, okay, one month for us is like a year for the other industries. Um, and I think that's just unfortunately the speed that globalization has brought to us. So to give you an example in that case, so we have looked a lot on how to work with European OEMs, with yeah, old paradigms, with old thinking. But in the end, we realized, okay, to really do anything fast enough in order to keep up, we are now talking to companies from China, for example. Um, to give you an example there, we are working there with a company who started putting charging stations for e-scooters into China in the last half year they installed 800,000 charging stations and you can try to think about how many of those are in just Germany or the EU it's nothing compared to it the kind of speed they can put on the table is just very different and why is that because as you all know you go through the government first in China if you want to do anything you convince the government first and I think maybe we can take that as an analogy to say okay how can we work with the EU? And so I'm already going to come back to or come to the EU point. For us, we would love to work with the EU. For us in the blockchain space or in that innovation space, I don't think, or I guess many of the people like us, we have the, the, the primitive, the thinking of the globalized people in my generation. So we don't see each other as competitors anymore. We try to achieve something together. Um, the challenge is we don't know how to do it because 
we don't see concrete initiatives or we don't find them, we don't know where to act in. Um, so what we would like to see or we would like to do, um, we would like to work, I guess, in some kind of EU sandbox or some, some kind of thing that enables us to build EU-wide use cases in a high speed to play around with that um, without too many regulatory hurdles. I don't know I've, how many of you have tried to fill out an application for EU funding on EU project. It's a lot of fun. It takes you a, a long time. And you, usually if you don't have the strongest player in the whole market and the strongest universities, then you probably won't achieve it. Um, so the question is, is there a possibility for us to build these kind of things um, for you? Um, and here's a surprising point. In that industry, we probably do it for free. We probably don't ask for anything. We won't even ask for funding. We just want to get a chance to do it. I think that's a really crucial point that this blockchain world brings with it because most of those companies are well-funded. Uh, globalization brings them money from China, from US, from crowdfunding. So I think that's not the challenge. The challenge is more like getting the opportunity to actually just do it. I mean, because I think only then we can really be fast. I think we have to take a really pragmatic approach. Otherwise... We can keep sitting in such circles and think about it and talk about it for ages, but we won't get anywhere. And I think that's, from at least our small little perspective, what's going to happen again most likely, because I think that's the same what happened previously. And yeah, I mean, with having been to China with uh, at least some colleagues of mine last week, it's, you wouldn't believe what you see there and how fast they move and how incredible it is what you see there in terms of scale and speed and how much further developed they are even with IoT, AI, and blockchain. So, yeah, I think that's um, a very large point for us. A second one is the data unbundling. I think that's a really, really yeah, interesting point. And we also look a lot into how to build data marketplaces. And I, was, I would be wondering myself, okay, what are the, what's the groundwork on the, on the regulatory side that has to be done in order to provide such data marketplaces. I mean, myself, I wrote my thesis on GDPR and blockchain. I talked to Jan-Philipp Albrecht, lots of other commissioners on that topic. It was really interesting to see how the GDPR evolved. And we knew now we do everything we can to build our technology by design and able to yeah, be privacy conform um, and to take those considerations into mind. But what will it take for data marketplaces? What will it take to share these data points and then make them usable to startups, make them usable for training on them. And I think this is what we we are probably going to be able to do next year technically. Um, the question is, can we do it regulatory? I mean, in the regulation sense, otherwise we will do it in Israel, in China, in the US. You know? And that's the, that's the reality, I think. Um, yeah, so I think that's probably the end of my argument. Thanks a lot, Simon. Um, last but not least, uh, Kurt, please give us your vision for the European Forum of Mobility and what it tries to achieve. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, yes, I'm not only the uh, Director General of um, the European Mobile Forum, I'm also um, a lawyer, and uh, as a lawyer, 
25 years ago, I wrote a book about the liberalization of uh, infrastructure market and telecommunication. And we had the same discussions 25 years ago. So for you, maybe we have a solution on the regulation. I think it should be based on the regulation for on the EU regulation of telecommunication, because that resolved the problem with the access uh, to, to the data points. Um, it's from US. It's uh, called the Essential Facility Doctrine. It's from 1912. And we have a lot of principles there. In this regulation is a EU regulation, and I think yeah we should take this regulation and 60% yeah we can use for these problems we have. Second, you ask um, if the owner of the data should be a private person or maybe the public. Uh, I think it should be the private person because it's so complicated yeah to handle this data in and the and the and the and the blockchain yeah it has to be private yeah it's not possible for 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 a public data holder to 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 hold this data for all these users yeah, but, uh, i said on the contrary that we would not it should not be nationalized made public in any way no, of course data belongs to those who I mean, to, to private individuals and then to companies who have collected data, but just like my energy infrastructure is mine, but I'm forced to unbundle it, that is to make it uh, like treated as a separate economic or business unit and allow access to others, this is not being confiscated. It's still my pipeline or my whatever infrastructure. Uh, this was the point I was making. I mean, God forbid, nothing close to making private data public or nationalizing or forcing anyone to do you know, anything excessive. But to, to create access and a marketplace, a data marketplace, uh, may, be, may be one way out of this conundrum, of this dilemma. With data, the new oil of the economy and so on. It's just an idea that is worth debating. Uh, but again, I was not suggesting we should nationalize no, 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 in any way. <laughs> Sorry, not you. Yeah, but there's a discussion. Yeah, within, within uh, even in Austria. Yeah, because they want to to nationalize. Yeah, this this data. Yeah, and so my position. So it's not your position. It's my position is data should be private. Yeah, but there should be the essential facility doctrine. So is it essential for the public? Yeah, they have to to, to get access to this data. Yeah. That's it. Thank you. Um, before I start asking questions, is there any questions from the floor before uh, I start torturing our panel? Oh, please go ahead. So, um, just a quick question. Uh, would you, s maybe for the representatives of the European Parliament and regulators, would you foresee that we are uh, in, we have in the current situation, a competition between regulators across geography in a way that if you don't do anything, um, small startups will go elsewhere to do their business. So is there this kind of competitive uh, approach? That Do you feel that in your day-to-day -day, uh, job? Yes, I mean, I hear this very often, uh, but, uh, but, you know, I mean, it, it varies across fields, but generally from, uh, from innovative uh, startups, I mean, from companies everywhere, in the blockchain space, in the AI space, 
we do hear this in uh, this quite often that if we do not come up with intelligent soft regulation then they are likely to go to other jurisdictions and i know cases when you know companies have moved to uh, uh, either singapore uh, but but there, I know cases where the opposite was true. They moved back into Europe from Singapore uh, or uh, the US. I mean, it, it varies. I mean, on, on, on a company trying to do an ICO would, would not likely move to the US because the environment is hostile. But it may be in Switzerland. France is developing an ICO-friendly regime or seems to, or we hope it will. Uh, so, yes, there is regulatory competition. But on the other hand, we do need to look after the, the general interests of society as well. So we need to find a balance. But I think on, on blockchain, at least, uh, uh, now the Commission has been quite open-minded and has made quite some inroads, uh, and Parliament as well, on the, for instance, the money laundering regime. Extending it to the blockchain space, I think, was a major achievement. It may seem hostile, but actually, on the contrary, it's aiming to bring some legal predictability and sort of light civilization to this space and make it more respectable, getting rid of the scammers and the things that have gone wrong in this space, allowing it to grow legitimately. So, you know, it's helping clean the space of its bad apples. Um, and, and this is, I mean, the, the most important jurisdiction on earth, I think, Europe, has done this, and I think it has done a good job. But on, on other issues, for instance, on uh, market manipulation or regulating ICOs in a sophisticated, friendly way, that we haven't done as much as we could have. But I know the Commission, DigiConnect, is, 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 is thinking of moving on that as well, for the, at least for the the end of this mandate early the next uh, the next college of commissioners but yes the, the straight answer to your question is there is regulatory competition and there are member states in the eu that compete with each other where there's no eu regime you know have estonia malta but again it varies with technologies now finland is quite keen on uh, on uh, on mobility as well for instance and they try to create friendly regimes but outside europe too so we are losing competitiveness and businesses to the world outside europe on ai there's the famous argument that because uh, because of GDPR, and I, I believe there's only partial truth in this, uh, we were lagging behind because other people can collect data much more easily. But if you collect data against your citizens or not respecting their rights, it's not the right thing. I mean, if you create a digital dictatorship, as China does, no, I would, God forbid, I would never try to do that, even risking to, to, you know, to lose the AI race. But you know, blockchain may be the solution to that. Maybe people can you know, have self-sovereign identity and they monetize their data. And, and this way, you know, they share freely their data rather than data being taken from them. So I think you can have peace between the GDPR and AI eventually. But there is this famous argument that we're lagging behind because uh, we don't have enough data to train our learners and somehow European culture is less uh, propitious for AI. Um, Thomas also wanted to respond, so please go ahead. Uh, yes, so uh, I, will, uh, I will try to to present you two facts uh, linked to, to the European uh, part. First, the funding. So the gentleman for, from Spain, uh, I would tell him that we obtained 1 million euros and we were just two people from Europe. So we obtained 1 million when we are applying for another 2.5 million. So we can still obtain funding. And uh, speaking about regulation, we had a foundation, we made a foundation in uh, Switzerland, SUG. One year ago, we liquidated, we are making it in France. So those are two facts. 
You want to add something under this as well, Kurt? Please go ahead. Okay. Yes, um, uh, I think it's for, for it's very important for you because at the moment, yeah, if you see an industrial product, yeah, it's not only the product; it's product and the service. So the product, industrial European product as a service. So the value and quality is not anymore the product itself can be from China. It's just the quality of the services. Yeah, and blockchain is part of the services. So if we're losing the services and the regulation there, yeah, we're losing the quality. So why China or US should, should, should buy the European products? And that's really the problem. You cannot sell anymore just an industrial product without any service. It's gone. Thanks a lot. Um, anybody else wants to answer from the panel to the question? No? Great. Um, any other questions? Please go. I, I just want to follow up on uh, what Thomas said, that it would, was easy for you to get money out of the European Union. Because my experience is more for like what Simon said. It takes uh, like from age 2020. Uh, to get the paperwork done and get everything in, it's a nightmare. And people actually just don't just walk away from it just to, just to start worrying about it. And because I know a couple of companies who would like to get involved, but they just said the paperwork and everything needs to get done. It's just too overwhelming to even join. So there's companies who would like to do it through the European Union or help out, but they're ready to just go to the VC or not the ICO anymore, but maybe the STO route going forward. Then do it with all the paperwork that needs to be done. I don't know if you guys can put any to it. Maybe you can shorten it or make it a smart contract or something go forward. Uh, yes, I, uh, so we applied for a one million from Romania with two guys. I was me and my, my, one of my colleagues. And then for, uh, for, uh, I applied also for age 2020 and I made uh, the record on my own alone in uh, 30 days. Uh, I was refused, but I'm uh, reapplying this year with help from some consultants in Spain, I think. So uh, what I meant, I, I don't mean this is very easy, but this is not impossible. And of course, nobody likes the paperwork. I admit it's very complicated, but uh, try to obtain money from VCs. And you'll see it's much more complicated because we did that also much more complicated. Isabel, please. I feel obliged to react a bit, even if I am not a funding and financing expert. Um, I have um, a bit of uh, knowledge uh, that I can share. Uh, so uh, maybe uh, there are um, other uh, ways of receiving funds uh, other than A2020, uh, because you have also the specific uh, um, activities uh, targeted uh, SMEs, uh, which are um, which is another tool to 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 support uh, startups to to work and in the world of smart cities we have also the EIT who is also uh, um, um, offering some some possibilities beside that and beside the EC uh, um, managed funds um, um, uh, we need also to, to be aware that the EIB um, has also some possibilities to offer um, uh, I know that for example in the in the city world um, 
um, um, there is um, a facility uh, which is called Elena, uh, which can help um, to 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 have some feasibility studies to to launch a project. So I think that uh, maybe maybe uh, the Commission uh, is not uh, uh, good enough at um, explaining um, um, the different possibilities we have to to give money. But uh, that's true that. Beside that, if you know a good expert in uh, in application, it's always uh, easier. Thank you. Uh, if I may ask a question, which personally is of interest to me, um, because basically, as data was mentioned a lot, and um, car manufacturers or car producers uh, look more and more into data and becoming service providers. And as you know, the biggest uh, data holders in the world are probably Google and uh, maybe Facebook, just out of interest, if you look at, uh, as you outlined that, uh, Klaus, uh, that car manufacturers until 2025 want to become service providers, um, who will be the Googles and the Facebooks in the mobility space in 2025? Will it be Google and Facebook or will it be somebody else? My um, personal... Um hold for that is there will be no other Google or Amazon or Facebook. They are already there. So what we can do as uh, in the mobility sectors and uh, as the OEMs is to build up um, a wall against these services. So there will not be a, a Volkswagen and not be a Daimler or a Toyota who will be fighting uh, Google with the data. But um, we need uh, something where we have some kind of a mobility layer uh, above the uh, internet and uh, between the uh, or between the the internet and the um, the platforms um, which are used by all the mobility providers and uh, with with this where we can where everybody can contribute and take the data out of it and use them for their mobility system or for their business model. Uh, we have a, a chance uh, to overcome this, uh, this data, I don't know how to say that, but the, uh, the, they, they, they own the data, they, they think they own all the data, but um, if, we, we, if we work together and we put this together in, in a layer which everybody can uh, use, um, then this um, the standalone by Google will somehow disappear um, because then they they um, they don't have the data alone, but we we can use them and uh, they um, we are not dependent on them anymore. And that is the, I think the major thing which we need to discuss over the uh, over the time and. Uh, also, we need to have some new ways to solve, solve problems, um, which are uh, in mobility. For example, we have now the, the cities, um, which are where some courts say uh, uh, in the near future, when the weather is bad and the, the, the climate is bad, then uh, the cars are not allowed to go into the cities anymore. Uh, we need to find ways around this. Nobody wants this actually to happen. And, um, but there are ways around this so that we can, um, can um, so that the access to the cities is uh, somehow regulated, but not uh, by, by the authorities, but by the users themselves. 
And if we can um, work something like this out, and uh, I, I think we could have <clears throat> a chance for this, uh, then we would have a new way of uh, that the people do not look bad at authorities, cities or uh, uh, European um, uh, administrations. But it is it would be more like, oh, we are doing this and uh, I can... Uh, uh, I can get advantages out of this, and I can uh, sometimes I need to pay for it because I uh, I'm in disadvantages uh, disadvantaged by it. But um, we um, we have a chance that uh, the uh, the the borders which Google and Amazon especially set up. Uh, can be taken down by us if we do it right and if we do it fast. Um, I would like to, to introduce a different perspective. So starting with the data that Google and, and Apple, amongst others, hold. It's a lot of data, but even this amount of data is by no means enough to get to level five autonomy for self-driving cars. There have been uh, many estimates that if you want to get that type of data, that will require cross-industry collaboration to even train those algorithms. Okay, let's assume that it arrives, self-driving cars. I think it will in the end of the day. What you will then see is for mobility services, it will most likely be under the current model a race to the bottom. If you have cars that can drive themselves, there will be increasingly, the uses of the cars will be increasingly commoditized unless there are services around it that would add a new value layer. Now, if you look at what's happening across many OEMs, um, and Klaus, feel free to react on this, is that if you currently sell a car, let's call it 1x, that is a one-off value creation opportunity. Then that car enters the mobility services ecosystem, and therein it continuously generates value. Now, what I'm seeing is that OEMs don't necessarily all want to become mobility service providers because that is a space that is very attractive to them. They want to share in the benefit of that 7x pool because who in their right mind wouldn't, right? Um, so I think that trend is currently going in parallel with where the market is going, which is that we don't have a one-to-one -one relationship anymore, like I own a car. You have one car used by various service providers for various different utilities, and it will become even more complex because this one car or this one vehicle will not just be owned by me, it might be owned by the entirety of these panelists in, in the simplest sense. So I think the, the ecosystem will become more and more complex. Um, I think mobility services will become more and more fluid. And I think that one of the, or I guess the most attractive way of technically structuring this would be to bring it back to distributed leisure technologies, because that's definitely a multi-stakeholder collaboration play. Please. Um. I think that uh, I like the way you explain it. 
but I would like to come to the basics. Um, can someone explain to me why we are focusing on access to data uh, in, a, in a room uh, discussing blockchain for mobility? Because I am a bit lost, and if I would have been prepared to discuss about access to data, I love that topic. But why are we talking that in the, this specific framework of blockchain? If someone can reply to me. Um, that basically is a simple thing. Um, the last time uh, the colleague of uh, uh, Arvin and I were discussing uh, the use of blockchain, and he gave me a simple example that... Uh, there's a project uh, where they bring together um, entrepreneurs or engineers to to test self-driving cars and how to use the data and how to steer them. That was basically the starting point. So the data that is connecting those cars and the exchange of this data is uh, being done by blockchain. And that's basically why I was asking about it. So that's as an overarching topic, as simple as that. Yes, I mean, I, I concur with that. There are two reasons why I mentioned this. The first one is that I have looked into the briefing that I have received from you, and this is mentioned as an important thing. But when you said it's not, it's like apples and pears, uh, it was a bit uh, tough, but I realized you were right. I mean, it, for instance, it, it, it can have an influence on the type of blockchain that you use, for instance. It can be a permissioned blockchain if you have the more restrictive approach to it or it can be a, uh, a, a public permissionless blockchain otherwise but it might not even be a blockchain so what you will decide should be hopefully will be technologically neutral so it may have an impact on the blockchain solution that is finally adopted if it is a blockchain solution uh, but you are right the two issues are not necessarily linked I mean they, they are they preoccupy this crowd here, but they are not necessarily, one doesn't condition the other. So here you're right. Um, <clears throat> sometimes they're not linked, but um, I think they are linked because the blockchain, yeah, um, in a very abstract way, yeah, it's just a medium of circulation. Is it a currency or any data, yeah, so smart contract, whatever, but you have a technology and this technology is blockchain or something else. But very abstract, it's just the medium of circulation. Yeah? And, that, and this, this medium transport a data. Yeah? It's, it's, a, it's a value of a currency, it's a smart contract, whatever. So for me, yeah, the, the blockchain, the, the, the technical side of the blockchain is permanently linked to any data. Okay? But the funny thing is, in an abstract way, yeah, I think yeah, a currency and a smart contract yeah, in, in the mobility, yeah, it's the same. So in the future, we will have not only a currency or a smart contract or whatever, we, com we will combine it. Yeah? So for example, you will have in the future a currency, a state currency, for, 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 for example, for, for, for child benefit. Yeah? Where you can give them money in form of based on a blockchain, a currency, but you, you can, um, in form of a smart contract, say, okay, this is just for, this money is just for um, uh, a child 9 to 12, 
Yeah, it's just for I, I don't know for a child in in the region of of France. Yeah, so the future combining blockchain, yeah, with the abstract ability, yeah, of of Tater, and uh, it it will be unbelievable. But it's the first step at the moment. So maybe, maybe instead of uh, talking about access to data, we should talk about uh, data sharing and the conditions to share the data. Is it not uh, right? Um, I think we should discuss uh, the future medium of circulation. That the word is from is is uh, <laughs> it's from. Um, um, Okay, it's from Copernicus, yeah, because he he did he, he was not only famous for 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 his astronomy, he was only famous for economics, and this expression is from 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 Copernicus, yeah, mm -hmm. because before Copernicus we had uh, Aristoteles, yeah, uh, the reprising, and then yeah he was the first man yeah who invented the the, the sentence or uh, or the idea of circulation, the medium of circulation. So circulation yeah? of data. That's it. So what's the data? It's a currency, it's a value, it's a contract, but in the end, it's just circulation. And that's the highest point of abstraction. Because so I, I hear quite often access to data, access to data, open data, and yeah. if we, we can call a cat a cat, it, it is easier to yeah. progress. But, but it's really complicated because the, the, the blockchain is just mm. a technical layer. Thank you. Yeah? Mm. And then we have the law, and uh, it's another layer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you have the economics, then you have competition. Mm -hmm. It's really complicated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry to have to bring this to an end, especially now. <laughs> got very interesting. Um, anybody with the last question before we close for today? Anything that you always wanted to ask anybody on the panel? Go ahead. Last, last question. Uh, anybody on the panel? Uh, if this is going to be mobile and automated, uh, atomic, don't you the roads and everything else needs to be redone with sensors and, you know, it's just a question uh, because I, if you have it, all these communication between cars and trucks and everything. There will be some additional uh, communication needed definitely um, but I think this is something which will develop over, over time and uh, it is this is something we can really adjust really easily to but the, uh, to the to come up with a solution for exchange of, of data exchange of values um, that is uh, something we have to think about um, from a regulatory aspect the other one is just technique okay. 